0: Very good afternoon, morning, or evening to you, and welcome to this edition of A Reason for Hope. Sean Richards hosting today and joined by Pastor Scott Richards for the next hour. This guy. (laughs) And of course, if you have sincere Bible questions, you can send them to us through our usual venues. First of all, if you'd like to send us an email question, this will be handy if you want to remain anonymous, you can send that to questionsforhope at gmail.com. If you're watching on one of the social media venues, we'll go over in a second. You'll have proper spelling. But if you're listening on Reach Radio or one of our radio affiliates, it is questions, plural, F-O-R, hope, at gmail.com. Also note, if we don't get to your question on time before the broadcast and the ever-flowing rate of decay uh, that we use to measure will, of course, pass us by. You can send that to us so we keep your questions all organized. Note as well, if you want to join us on social media, we have a few options for you. hope at gmail.com will be our email address, but if you'd like to join us on YouTube, you can join us live at A Reason for Hope. The name is, of course, A Reason. F-O-R, Hope, would be replaced by the number four in that case, and I'm noticing that I'll we'll have to have Adrian look at this when he returns to the land of the living. There is not two A's in the title.
1: A For hope. I'll
0: (laughs) I'll repent in leisure about that, but not my fault. Um, Note that you can join us there. If you subscribe or hit the notification bell, you will be able to send us your questions both live and in the comments section. Our Facebook page is Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson, and note that through both of these venues, if you like and subscribe, whichever social media platform expects of you to follow us, you will also have a chance to access our biweekly bible studies going through at the moment the book of esther and the book of acts although both are i think are starting to hit in stride so we may be updating that as the days go on yep When we're talking about these issues though, understand that these venues are open and available for you to send us your sincere Bible questions. Sincerity meaning you want to hear the answer, the Bible meaning the subject matter of the question and the answer are both to be intended from the Bible and that of course it's asked in the form of a question. You'll get jeopardy points for that. Say you want to avoid social media, you can also join us on our website where you will be able to send us your questions both by email and by chat live at calvarychristianfellowship.com. That's C-A-L-V-A-R-Y, christianfellowship.com. We'll be going live every single weekday. And note that starting this Monday, that is February 12th, we will be going live not on 5 p.m. Arizona time, but 4 p.m. to 5 p.m. Mountain Standard time if you are not on Daylight Savings, because we oppose that here. So note that if you have those questions, we'll be happy to get to them on the broadcast, and we'll also be starting off with an update on events taking place both within and beyond the pond. But before we say a single word, why don't we dedicate this time to the Lord and see what He has to say.
1: Okay. Uh, Father, thank you so much that we have this opportunity to spend time in your presence here, and Lord, we pray that uh, your Holy Spirit would be free to lead us into all truth, that uh, we would uh, not just offer, uh, say, our points of view, uh, but far from it, that we would just tell people what your word has to say, your truth, your whole truth, and nothing but your truth. Uh, Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Uh, I pray for those that maybe are feeling uh, hesitant about life and uh, need uh, some practical instruction that they would receive it here. I pray, Father, for those that uh, maybe have ended up more puzzled uh, than uh, feeling like they have perspective by looking at your word. We'd examine even those tough passages and uh, be able to uh, understand them and embrace them. And who knows, maybe even see them as our most favorite passages because we've uh, sought your word and your truth and uh, we found it. Uh, Lord, we pray that uh, in all things, Jesus would be magnified and glorified by everything that is said and done. Thank you, Lord, that uh, we can rely upon your spirit to do this. And Father, we know that it is your will to glorify your son during this time. So we ask for you to accomplish your will. We look forward in advance to being changed people. As a result, of our time of interaction in your word in jesus name amen
0: that is true all right so what's going on in the wide wide world of sports oh
1: boy uh an awful lot uh before uh, airtime uh there were reports of a uh, major uh israeli uh, installation uh, being attacked in northern israel by hezbollah uh, at least one casualty two other idf uh soldiers wounded in that particular attack. Now, this is away from Gaza. This is north by the border of uh, Lebanon, and uh, Israel is responding uh, in a uh, very dramatic and uh, pronounced attack on Hezbollah forces in Lebanon. Now, whether that is going to uh, end up uh, exploding uh, into the uh, showdown between Israel and Hezbollah that has uh, uh, been uh, hinted at, uh, quite strongly over the years. Uh, we really don't know for sure, uh, but uh, this is definitely a step up uh, in terms of uh, the, uh, the difficulties that are going on here. Uh, as far as what is happening in uh, the uh, Gaza situation, it is proceeding apace. Uh, there is no indication whatsoever uh, that the Israeli government uh, under Benjamin Netanyahu is going to deviate uh, one iota from their stated case of, uh, taking out, uh, the possibility of Hamas, uh, still operating within Gaza. Uh, the talk about a two state solution that is, uh, seemingly gaining more traction with our state department, people ask us about that. Uh, what is going to be the end game once the, uh, campaign in Gaza is over? Well, the idea of, uh, giving, uh, the, uh, uh the terrorists in, uh, in Gaza and uh, even uh, the ones in the West Bank, their own state, uh, seems to be a non-starter from a number of different angles. Uh, there are analysts in the Middle East who believe that this happens. Uh, the next thing that will happen is uh, that the country of Jordan, as it is uh, currently uh, constituted, run by an offshoot of the Saudi royal family, but uh, the vast majority of people in Jordan being Palestinians, uh, that Jordan would fall and become, uh, well, a hornet's nest of uh, terrorism in uh, that region of the world. So uh, as a result of that, uh, Israel is uh, not uh, looking at uh, giving uh, the time of day to the idea that all of this is going to lead to a Palestinian state, which will uh, inevitably lead to a, a headbutting situation with our current administration. Uh, very interesting question uh, asked us earlier, and I commented on on our, uh, our X feed, it used to be known as Twitter, uh, about uh, where is the United States in biblical prophecy? We've talked about this a number of times. Uh, There's three basic uh, speculations, and again, this is analysis, this is uh, looking at the pieces of the puzzle biblically, and the fact that the United States is uh, definitely conspicuous by its absence. Uh, Why wouldn't a country like like the United States have a major role in end times prophecy? Well, a couple things that can give us insight into that, if you've ever been asked that question. First of all, when we take a look at biblical prophecy, we take a look at it from the lens of how all the nations of the world are going to affect Israel. Israel is the epicenter, as our good friend Joel Rosenberg calls it, of God's plan to right this world gone wrong. This is where Jesus is going to return. This is where he's going to rule and reign. And the fate of Israel, we see, especially in the last days, is going to determine the fate of the world. So uh, those nations that directly impinge uh, upon Israel and have an effect upon them are prominently featured in last day's biblical prophecy. Some of them identified by tribal groups like uh, the modern Russian Russian people in Ezekiel chapter 38. Some just uh, flat out uh, described uh, in no uncertain terms like Persia, modern Iran, uh, being a part of the last day's And the end times. The book of Daniel, chapter 9, indicates that a revived form of the Roman Empire. Other prophecies in Daniel also back this up. Uh, is going to be the kingdom of the Antichrist. And the Antichrist, according to passages like Zechariah chapter 12, is definitely going to have it out for the Jewish people. He's going to uh, go to a rebuilt temple that he is going to uh, orchestrate diplomatically, uh, sit in that temple, declare himself God to be worshiped. But I believe in conjunction with uh, the uh, supernatural defeat of a coalition of nations led by Russia, Iran at their side, a number of other different nations like turkey being involved as well but uh, these nations overwhelming israel and then god supernaturally intervening to defeat these nations israel from that time onward is going to know that the lord is god and uh, the antichrist is going to try to take credit for it israel won't buy it and it's going to be open season on israel on a level that has never been seen before it may even make the holocaust uh, pale in comparison So, you know, the most important thing that we need to understand about uh, end times prophecy and where other nations fit into this, one might ask the question, well, where's Great Britain in uh, biblical prophecy? Well, it seems like Great Britain, because of its uh, part in uh, the old Roman Empire, the revived Roman Empire, will probably be a part of the Antichrist Coalition of Nations. Some people believe the United States is going to be a part of that coalition of nations, as well. But others will say, well, how can the Antichrist out of Europe with a revived Roman Empire run the show when uh, the United States is so powerful? Well, currently, we are. Uh, There's three possibilities as to why the United States is going to be moved aside and a vacuum created for that revived Roman Empire to seize power. Uh, The most hopeful would be the rapture of the church. According to the George Barna organization, uh, some 50 million professing evangelical Bible-believing Christians in the United States. Well, say Barney is even half right. 25 million people vanished at the rapture. Uh, the United States is going to be devastated, probably more than any other nation on earth. Uh, we put that up on our Twitter feed, and uh, some people snarkily made comments about the condition of the church today. I don't know if there's going to be that many who are going to go, but uh, the, the the bottom line is uh, we are uh, saved by grace and we're going to be raptured by grace as well. So I don't think it is an uh, uh, a, uh, over-the-top uh, piece of analysis to say that maybe 25 million Americans will vanish on that day based on current population and people identifying as Bible-believing Christians. So uh, if that happens, uh, stop and think of what happened on 9-11. Uh, roughly 3,000 people lost their lives that day. It took the United States three years to recover from that. Uh, economically. Imagine what 25 million would do. So that's a possibility, and I hope it is, is the uh, main uh, thing, because it encourages me to share my faith and and bring as many people to Christ as I can while I await the rapture with uh, the idea of seeing that particular prediction come to pass. The second idea is the idea of the United States being wiped out in some kind of a limited war. Uh, Joel Rosenberg, our uh, good friend and uh, prophecy expert, uh, wrote a, uh, a novel based upon uh, that idea leading up to the rapture of the church, uh, we don't know. Again, that's speculation, but that might be why the United States isn't mentioned. Or uh, we are just going to see the United States continue to decline in terms of uh, being able to governmentally, financially, and militarily, be the dominant power within the world. Uh, and I think we are seeing some definite signs of that. A number of people uh, raising eyebrows today over the fact that uh, President uh, Joe Biden uh was uh, given a pass by a special counsel looking into his improper possession of classified documents in his home by the way he took those documents when he was vice president didn't have uh, any ability to declassify them but uh, they said that they were not going to prosecute because uh biden came across like a well-meaning but mentally impaired old man with a poor memory and uh, no jury would ever find him guilty of these sort of things,
0: so mentally unfit to prosecute,
1: right? But he's apparently the... mentally fit to be president of the United States. So, uh, you know, when we take a look at things like this uh, happening, uh, when we take a look at the lack of confidence that people have across the political spectrum, whether you're a Biden supporter or a Trump supporter, it's kind of the same thing. Uh, the The fact of the matter is, the United States may just go into the same kind of decline that Britain did. Uh, At the turn of the uh, previous century, in the 1900s, the sun never set on the British Empire. They were considered the dominant power in the world, uh, but they lost uh, the willingness and ability to be able to continue that influence. The United States may follow in that same direction. But suffice it to say, we don't know about uh, these things. We can't be definitive or dogmatic about them, but I think uh, the analysis holds. And uh, if that analysis is correct, the practical application point is this. We want to see the United States uh, become a non-player in the last days because so many people end up getting raptured. One great way to be a part of that, and that is to share our faith. A couple other uh, brief uh, updates for you. An unusual incident took place on an LL flight from Prague to Tel Aviv. Uh, security guards took control of a passenger who tried to break into the cockpit on the, the flight Uh, The plane had to land in Greece. Now, Sean, you and I have flown El Al before, and one of the things that you uh, know about flying El Al is uh, we have uh, what are known as air marshals, uh, people that uh, are on uh, our flights uh, undercover, more or less. We don't really know who the air marshals are. Is that the case with El Al?
0: Has to be, both Uh, before, during, and after the flight. Yeah,
1: uh, when we uh, checked in for El Al flight, in Los Angeles, when you walk into the terminal at the Tom Bradley International Terminal at LAX, you go to LL. Al, you will see prominently on duty there, a uh, individual uh, from uh, the Israeli Armed Forces uh, carrying a large submachine gun to make sure that order is kept. And so, with
0: even limited sense of humor compared to the TSA in the United States.
1: Yeah, so the, the, the bottom line is, uh, Uh, Somebody should have told this guy how futile an attempt that would be, but a very sad uh, incident as well. Another sad incident, the Israeli women's basketball team uh, defeated uh, the uh, Irish national team, 87 to 57. The Irish refused to shake hands with the Israelis.
0: And for those not keeping up with world events, the far-left media that's predominant in the United States that is very pro-Hamas,
1: Also the case in Ireland, unfortunately. Yeah, very, very sad. Anti-Semitism doing uh, land office business. As a matter of fact, uh, we uh, retweeted a tweet on our X platform, it's easy for me to say, uh, where an online poll indicated that now 58% of the respondents believe that the Holocaust never took place. That's a very difficult point of view to hold on to Based on fact.
0: But there are still people who deny that Jesus ever existed, so when his intelligence mattered.
1: Yeah, so, uh, you know, once again, we're seeing anti Semitism uh, on the rise. So those are the details. Continue to pray uh, for Israel. Uh, apparently, some more of the terror tunnels have been discovered, including some that uh, included uh, large cells. Uh, where the uh, hostages had been kept at least uh, for a time. Pray mm-hmm. for the safety and the return of the hostages as well. as much as could be said well going
0: out to your questions uh, starting off this question came from I'm trying to decide here uh, from Mike he repeated his question I think we'll go in order. Uh, he wants to know and this was the passage his questions was referencing. But how do we practically follow Hebrews 12 to, looking into Jesus, the author and finisher
1: of our faith, not getting distracted by life or, in his words, going through life on autopilot? Yeah. Uh, well, you know, again, I think the best way to apply Hebrews chapter 12 and verse two, at least in my estimation, is by paying uh, really close attention to what we read in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse one. Therefore, we also... "...since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, for the the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God." And notice it says, "...for consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls." You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. Now, notice what the writer of Hebrews is is basically saying in this this, uh, particular passage. Don't get distracted. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, the Hall of Fame of Faith that we see there, details uh, one person after another after another who found favor with God because they believed God's promises, even the promises of God that were given to them that they didn't realize during their own lifetime, even the promises of God uh, that they held on to in spite of the fact that they were tortured, uh, that they were uh, savagely killed, uh, exiled, uh, going through all kinds of trials and tribulations. So uh, the idea behind Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 through 2, uh, looking unto Jesus, the author and perf- perfect of our faith, is twofold. First of all, we have to understand life's tough, uh you know I, I, when i hear prosperity teachers say that uh, if you're doing it right your christian life you're going to be the head not the tail the lender not the borrower god wants to give you perfect uh, wealth uh, perfect health and maximum wealth i could only wish those things were true but i read a passage like hebrews chapter 11 and then going into chapter 12 and we see that life is filled with difficulties with challenges and the best way to navigate these difficulties and challenges without being discouraged is to look unto Jesus. In fact, this looking unto Jesus is a uh, reference back to something that has already uh, been discussed in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So the idea of keeping our eyes on Jesus in this passage is understanding that Jesus is with us. He is with us in the sense that he cares about us. He is with us in the sense that he wants to see us succeed, not be overcome by the world, but overcome the world even as he did. And the best way to do that is, is to keep our eyes on him and let him be our example. If I get uh, blasted for being faithful to to Jesus in this world, there's a lot of people go, "Wow, man, I just don't really know if I signed up for all of that." Uh, well, you need to understand something. Uh, Jesus said that in this world you'll have tribulation, but fear not, for I've overcome the world. He didn't say in this world you will get a pass from hard times and tribulations. Uh, No, but Jesus has been through it and he promises to be with us through each and every part of all of that. So I think uh, to bottom line it, I think having that Jesus centric point of view, uh, not allowing ourselves to be distracted by, say, people who put us down, people who are angry with us, uh, people who might rip us off for being Christians or or denigrate our reputations and our character. No, we're going to realize that Jesus went through all of that, and uh, as a uh, very wise man once shared with me, if you say the same sort of things that Jesus said, the same sort of people he sent him to, you're going to get what he got. So if Jesus suffered in this way, why would we get the get-out-of-jail-free card? We won't, but the good news is Jesus promises to go with us every step along the way.
0: Which doesn't make it any less fun but also noting the same is true when you have this kind of christ-centered perspective to keep the illustration going the bigger something is to you the harder it is to look away from it that's what we can say in this regard and the definition of that illustration is meant to be understood as if jesus is more a practical not just in the sense of you know what would jesus do but just you involve him more as much as possible in the daily and sometimes even the mundane things of your life prayers before meals is a good start but i've just took a practical effort in the things that i'm being entertained by and asking is there some bibble in this what does that have to do with jesus and the times that you're talking with your friends not to just say i'd like to talk to you about jesus and make him uncomfortable but just making him a part of your conversation having something to geek out about involving yeah. him yeah these are the sort of things that involve him more in your life and the more that habit gets formed the more that the aspects of his life that were demonstrated that you have a commonality with to a lesser degree of course are ultimately going to keep coming into mind why because you're in a sense autopiloting in a purposeful proper direction now there are times where we just get tired of the monotony and doing things on repeat. The daily grind becomes a little bit uh, more dull as things go on. But the more Jesus is a part of that, the more you're going to want to take a step back, at least if you have a high regard for Jesus, I'm assuming you do, to say, no, 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 but what really is happening here? Because none of us want to get to the point where, oh, yeah, that Jesus stuff. No, taking the conscious effort to have a bigger and a proper view of Jesus the more he's going to impact your life not just in looking to him but understanding what you're seeing right so right
1: and and you know it's one thing to understand the truth that jesus is with us it's one thing to understand what he has said about life but boy the more uh when we face these kind of distractions uh, in life if we can take these distractions as his tap on the shoulder saying you need to turn back to me how do you do that through prayer we can share a heart with him and through remembering what he has said in his word that is how the spirit speaks to us and that way our relationship with jesus becomes just that it's not knowing a bunch of facts about jesus as you mentioned sean it's inviting jesus to be a part of our whole lives
0: All Right? um question from shari she's going to be doing a bible study on this so she wants some uh, insights and side references uh, she wants to know what's being spoken about in ephesians 4 8-12 through 12, the the whole conversation starts in verse 7, and it's kind of a different topic in 11 and 12, but we'll go through it anyway. Uh, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, and he quotes Psalm 68 and verse 18. Note that one as a first side reference. When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Paul then notes parenthetically, Now this, he ascended, what does it mean? But That he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And then it goes on to conclude that point. What's the end goal? that we all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, the measure of the fullness of Christ. Not a small task. But verses 7 through onward are basically bookended in this interesting insight, which we'll get more into in a second, regarding spiritual gifts, that Christ has given us not just the gift of eternal life, but more than that, he's given us opportunities to be, as he says, equipping the saints in building up building, excuse me, them up in knowledge, being sent out, being spokesmen, being ones who reach out, some who are even tending to the body of Christ, positions of church leadership. But it starts with one thing, and this was a reference to the Old Testament, first hint, in a psalm that, ironically enough, was kind of a back and forth between God judging his enemies and his people rejoicing. So when you go through that psalm, and we encourage you to do that as well in your own study, understand that the theme being built up here isn't just you know paul blindly picking out this passage dude was a pharisee he knew his old testament yeah and when he's making this reference he then goes on to explain not just that the lord ascended but descended first because if the lord's already up there how does he get higher than the highest he had to first come down before he gets back up to the place where as paul said he fills all things
1: in order to be exalted you've got to have a time where you were uh, altered. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Take it what yeah. you will. Yeah.
0: And the filling all things, I'm sure you've already discussed in detail, was a reference back to chapters 1 and 2. Yeah. But the idea of him leading captivity captive, that raises eyebrows, which brings us to the second reference to text other than Ephesians 4, not in the Old Testament, but ironically the New, right in the Gospel of Luke. Right Now, why would we make
1: that association? Well, uh, first of all, uh, you know, when uh, yeah, just a, another comment on the, the first part of it uh, in Ephesians 4, we see the totality of how God works among his people. Uh, you know, we see, you know, to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Why do we have spiritual gifts in the first place? Because when Jesus ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Uh, what the Apostle Paul is going to get at and he's going to further elucidate uh, in a moment is uh, this notion that uh, the the most wonderful thing in the world that could ever happen to us has happened, that God has given us his Holy Spirit, uh, the gift of his Holy Spirit. He went so far in John chapter 16 uh, saying, you know, that it's to your advantage that I go away because if I go away, I'll send the Spirit to you. Uh, And so the power of the Holy Spirit manifesting spiritual gifts is the general context here. But this idea of ascending on high and leading captivity captive, that phrase leading captivity captive is really significant because when a uh, a Roman uh, general of that time would, uh, say, have a conquest over a particular enemy or a a city, uh, they would have a victory parade. And in that victory parade uh, there would be obviously prisoners of war uh, From both sides Uh, there would be individuals that would be taken prisoner to show that the general had conquered But even more part of this victory parade would be individuals who had been taken captive Who are now part of this victory parade because the general in a sense has sent them free So with that framework in mind, uh, we go back to the book of Luke. In Luke chapter 16, we see the account of the rich man and Lazarus. Now, the reason I call it account is that there are people that will look at this and say, well, this is a parable. Well, there's a problem with calling it a parable. Uh, First of all, when Jesus talked about parables, he was very good about saying, uh, hear the parable of or the kingdom of heaven is like. Here we don't see any of that. He just launches into this discussion about uh, a poor man named Lazarus and a rich man who die and go to the other side. Uh, The other interesting thing is this, in no other parable, if you wanna call it a parable, of Jesus are proper names mentioned. But in this particular parable, we've got uh, Lazarus being named, The rich man, Dives in Greek, some people believe that was his name, kind of like being named Richie Rich or something like that. And Abraham being named specifically in this parable. So for those reasons, I don't think it's a parable. I think it's a peek over into the other side at a very interesting juncture in God's plan. Uh, In uh, Luke chapter 16, we are told there was a certain rich man, who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. Literally, he was right there at Abraham's side. And then the rich man died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom and uh, goes on from there. This discussion they have about this great gulf being fixed. Uh, both of these individuals were immediately aware of uh, their state after, the, after they had died immediately, either in comfort or in torment. Uh, you know, the, uh, the conversation uh, got to be, uh, well, uh, if you can't help me out, the rich man said, send Lazarus back to warn me of my brothers so that they don't end up here. As if
0: he's entitled to serve your whims. Yeah, exactly.
1: So the guy never got tired of giving orders. But uh, Abraham said, well, they have Moses and the prophets. Let him hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone comes back from the dead, they'll listen to him. And Abraham said, even if someone comes back from the dead, if they won't hear Moses, they won't hear him. Which Which was the point. Yeah, which is the main point of this account. But unlike a parable where, you know, you get into trouble and you start picking it apart, there are some aspects of this that we can understand. First of all, uh, when people would die in an Old Testament sense, they would go to a place called Sheol or the grave. That was what it was referred to. Here we see that this place was a dual compartment setup. On the one side of the coin, it was a place was called paradise, which was a word that was used to describe a very lush and elaborate garden that rich people of that day would have, uh, or torments, or Hades, if you will, a place of, uh, of fire, a place uh, that Jesus described as uh, being like uh, the trash dump in the Valley of Hinnom outside of Jerusalem. And, and so we see that both people came to that same general area. Why? Well, In the fullness of time, we are told that Christ died for the ungodly. Uh, Prior to this time, uh, those who were saved were saved by faith, but they were saved looking forward in time to when Jesus would come. Jesus hadn't actually paid the price for the sins of mankind yet by dying on the cross. So those who were saved looking forward in time by faith would be justified in that way. Hence, you have Abraham and the rich man being in a place of comfort. But those who rejected a relationship with God, would also get exactly what they asked for. So you'd have this dual compartment situation. When Jesus died and rose from the grave, the question usually gets asked, okay, what was Jesus doing for three days and three nights? Was he just kicking back in the tomb? Was he unconscious? Well, we are told in passages like 1 Peter chapter 3 that uh, Jesus again uh, preached or declared a message to those spirits who were in prison. So what happened was Jesus descended to the lowermost parts of the earth, as Ephesians chapter 4 describes. He announced to those who were there, either the greatest thing you ever heard or the worst. Because if you were a person who was looking forward to Messiah and looking forward to being in the presence of God, uh, what Jesus was saying is the price has been fully paid. Now you can come with me into the very presence of God. Now from this time onward, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. There's no such thing as an interim place or a purgatory or anything like that. Now, if you'd rejected God, worst news you ever heard because you heard what you could have had, but you uh, obviously rejected. And so uh, when Jesus arose, he led captivity captive. Those who were, in a sense, POWs, those who were kept in a place uh, of, of somewhat comfort Uh, awaiting the time that Jesus would achieve this final victory, uh, were ushered in the very presence of God in this victory parade, if you will.
0: So for your own study, just keep three passages in mind. Psalm 68, specifically verse 18, but we encourage more than less. The second is Luke 16, specifically the account of the rich man and Lazarus, and we'll note in more detail about that if you please. And of course, just as a side note, 1 Corinthians 12 might also help since it mentions and talks about spiritual gifts, which are also repeated
1: there to another audience, but in the same way. Yeah, and uh, you may even want to throw in uh, that reference in uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 18. So let us know if that helps you out. And if not, we apologize. (laughs) Um, Speaking
0: of which, you mentioned it briefly, but I think it'll tie in appropriately to Dan's question here, one of his anyway. The question is about dispensationalism and the fact that there are p- people in the body of Christ who are for and against it. And by the way, that is true. There are Bible-believing Christians that can disagree with dispensationalism and still be saved, right. because what it's talking about isn't salvation by grace through faith, but simply a disagreement about how God has dispensed, literally, salvation to the nations throughout history. Now, the dispensationalist view, and this is, again, a very, very brief oversimplification of it, (laughs) is keeping three passages in mind, the most direct of which is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 10 through 14. And if you'd like me to read it for you, we can, but the point of emphasis is the word A is specifically used, and it's talking about, in the fullness of times, God revealed to us his Son. Right a good parallel passage to that and the ones that I will read are first Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1 where it reads God in various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his son whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the worlds and then goes on to note how awesome that is but the point is that God has spoken in various times and in various ways. not one way throughout all of history, the the message that the Garden of Eden wasn't the cross, but more was revealed over time. We would call this a form of progressive uh, revelation. But the idea and mindset behind dispensationalism is generally thinking times and categories of people who were held accountable for what they knew, what God had given to them. Right. For example, at the time of Adam and Eve, from Adam to Noah, that time frame of human history. Mankind was accountable to their direct revelation of God, which was handed to them through personal experience by great-grandpappy Adam himself. That there was a message of salvation, a la the promise of Eve, but not a full revelation like the one we're enjoying today through the New Testament. When we get to the time of the patriarchs, from Abraham to Jacob, we're seeing people that obviously, not just limited to them, but all over the world, were given revelations from God through visions and dreams. Abraham was told to leave his family. He waited all the way to Canaan and found a guy by the name of Melchizedek who knew the true and living God. When time goes on and Israel is uh, doing their thing, they run into a guy named Balaam who knows about the true and living God and gained a reputation for it, but not in a positive sense. On and on it goes, but people were able to have this direct revelation. During the time of Moses going all the way to the prophets, we have people who were given signs from God to verify in writing the sort of things he wanted them to know, and more specifically, prophecies that would give details about messiah's coming but not the fullness of it we didn't have the full picture if we were living at the time of the prophets right but that didn't mean people didn't get saved right this is the this is the dispensationalist view then the time of jesus this is the dispensation we're currently living in the full revelation of the first coming of messiah not all the details concerning all his promises we believe another dispensation is coming and this is why um literal, pre-trib, pre-millennial, end times views, which we'll get into more in a second, tend to veer this route as well, because we also believe that God will do another work through the Jewish people and the signs that are literally happening all around them right, through right. the tribulation, that that right. will be how they're getting saved then. Not just the witness of Christ, but in addition to it. Just like Adam's testimony is included in Genesis, it's not as if these override each other, they include each other. And there's different views some cultic borderline, and others that would be just as generous to the non-dispensationalist and saying, I believe Jesus is intertwined in all of it. I I don't disagree with that, but the mindset that this was basically a formatting question, that's dispensationalism. Now, it was said before, and I do respect the comment, that if you can't argue a position against your own position, you don't deserve to have that, because it means you haven't examined both sides. And again, to be brief, For the sake of time and more questions being asked on this broadcast, I'll do that. But try to do justice to positions I don't hold. The point of emphasis that a non-dispensationalist would hold, that I'd completely agree on its own, is that there is no other name by which we are saved but the name of the man, Christ Jesus. And they would hammer that home to death and say, so you're saying by the word of Adam that we are saved. You're saying by the law of Moses, we are saved. You're saying by the testimony of the prophets, we are saved. No, it's through Jesus or bust. Now, don't disagree with that. But if we're going to then discount the ways that God has revealed himself in history, it's simply a question of formatting at that point. And that's why we would say that this is not a do-or-die cult, heretic, or fry kind of position <laughs> if you are a dispensationalist you're simply affirming these passages that we've gone through if you aren't a dispensationalist then you're acknowledging the same fact that a dispensationalist would recognize as the ultimate goal of it that of course like we talked about with the rich man and lazarus there's a holding cell for those who hadn't yet been redeemed through christ in that those who died before his sacrifice right weren't being judged for their sins right but still hadn't been paid for yet right that's what we would draw attention to the non-dispensationalists would say but god knew from the start which is generally why non-dispensationalists tend to be in reformed camps they would say it was either through christ or not they were predestined to be conformed to the image of his son on and on and on it goes right. so that's the mindset here and again No qualms or quarries. We can have good conversations about it that don't have the need to be hostile. Where people oftentimes get off the bar is generally most cases when you're talking about biblical themes, but you lose sight of Jesus. People who go too far on the non-dispensationalist camp say, well, you are discounting God's revelation. You're saying that God has to be limited to these sort of ways when he could have just done it all the same way. And we're getting into hypotheticals, not on what the message was. Right. And the radical dispensationalist would say, well, you need to understand that there are other ways that people get, can get saved apart from Jesus. As a dispensationalist, I'd say that's blasphemous. Right. I'm missing the whole point of the position. Right. So understand, people can make mistakes. People can disagree on a common factor that's important and disagree on others that aren't. This isn't art. This isn't fundamental. So let me know if that helps you out. Uh, The second question he had in this category was, what's a pan-millennial position on the end times? I'll be brief. It's actually a joke. Um, The word pan generally means all or everywhere. But in this case, it's a pun meant to, instead of pre-mill, post-mill, ah mil, all of these Greek phrases, they say, well, I'm pan mill." I think it'll all pan out in the end. It's not a position on the end times. It's distancing yourself from the topic altogether. So right. if people say, I'm pre-trib, post-trib, I don't believe there will be a trib. Well, they don't trib over anything. They just say, I'll let God sort that out, which I think is kind of chicken. But we'll deal with that another time. Let me know if that helps you out, Dan. Here's another question from... Let's do Greg's question here. Um, He wants to know when Jesus said no one has ascended into heaven. Yeah, yeah, good Uh, question. Does the Bible say that Elijah and Enoch also went to heaven? He's a bit confused here. So categorically, when it says in 2 Kings 1 and in Genesis chapter 5, that in Enoch's case, he walked with God and was not, for God took him. Right. And when Elijah was taken up in the sight of Elisha, his disciple, into heaven in chariots of fire... That's fun. They obviously ascended into heaven. They were taken on earth, and they went up. So, is that in the same way and in the same sense what Jesus was talking about with Nicodemus in John chapter 3?
1: Yeah, it's really kind of a different category as far as what Jesus was getting into there, and it's a great question because, young people, is that like a contradiction? You know, uh, Jesus said, no one has ascended into heaven. But the one who came down from heaven, the Son of Man. Uh, okay, uh, but what about Elijah, and what about... Uh, Moses and uh, showing up at the Mount of Transfiguration, or what about Enoch? Uh, well, we need to understand what's going on here. Nicodemus in John chapter three is uh, one of the Jewish rulers who comes to Jesus, uh, kind of undercover. He comes to him at night, uh, and Jesus challenges him with a statement that in order to enter into the kingdom of God, uh, you have to be born again. Well, Nicodemus doesn't understand this, and he kind of goes. Hyper literal and says, "You know, how can a uh, person crawl back inside their mother's womb and be born uh, a second time?" Uh, but Jesus explains that one has to be born of the water and of the Spirit in order to enter the kingdom of God. Being born in the flesh is not enough; you also have to be born of the Spirit. So, uh, what he's emphasizing is is that the new birth that he is talking about makes a person alive in their spirit not just in their flesh. And Nicodemus still doesn't understand this. He goes, how can this be? But Nicodemus, remember something, this guy is a uh, one of the Jewish rulers. He was the Bible answer man of his day. And Jesus takes him to task a bit, saying, how do you not understand this if you're the teacher of Israel? Then Jesus says, if you don't believe me when I speak of earthly things, how will you believe if I speak about heavenly things? In John chapter three and verse 12. So the emphasis here is Nicodemus going, you're kind of blowing my mind here and probably in the back of his mind he goes, well, you know, you did all these miracles and I know you're sent from God, but this thing is becoming so elaborate you've lost me. I'm not really sure I should believe you when you're saying this. So Jesus puts his credentials for being taken seriously on the counter. He says to Nicodemus, uh, "You got to understand who I really am." So Jesus focuses Nicodemus' attention on the fact that uh, that uh, that he is the one who ascended. No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, namely the Son of Man. Now, Jesus, remember, he's talking to a ruler of the Jews
0: and a religious expert, in and the law. a religious
1: expert, and uh, to be a religious expert you would, in most cases, have what we would call the entire Old Testament memorized. Including Psalm 68. Yeah, and uh, Proverbs chapter 30 Mm -hmm. and verse 4. Who has ascended into heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name? Surely you know. Now, is this
0: talking about people who have physically died and went to a better place? Or is he talking about the sort of thing that only God can do? La, the other three points he made: gathering the wind to his fist. Right. Only
1: God can do these things. Uh, Someone
0: who started at the top and then came down.
1: Right. Not someone who was down and then went up. For and that's an important distinction. But the other important distinction is the question of authority. Right. Why should Nicodemus listen to Jesus? Well, Jesus says the only one who has ascended into heaven and descended is the Son of Man, referring to himself. And that's a reference again to Daniel chapter 7, which was a heavily messianic prophecy. You're looking at the guy, is what was what Jesus was saying. So, you know, when we see this, we see that there were many instances in the Old Testament where the pre-incarnate Christ would come down and interact with people. Genesis 18, read it at home, great interaction between Uh, jesus and abraham took place uh at that particular uh incident so he is the only one who has done this he has come down from heaven visited gone back up he's come back again in a more permanent sense through the incarnation he has now become a man in the person of christ jesus why because he said uh he is the one who came to earth to be lifted up uh, like the serpent in Numbers chapter 21, so that whoever believes in him would have eternal life. So what Jesus was getting at when he was saying this wasn't, you know, well, you know, Moses and Elijah never went to heaven, but- Enoch. Yeah. Or, or, yeah, or, Enoch and Elijah. Yeah, or or Moses, since he did come back at the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, Ask we, about that if you like. We, we, can, uh, we can debate all of that till the cows come home. But instead of depending on your heritage, Uh, or obedience to the law. What Jesus was saying is, you got to believe in me. And this was a mind blower. And in, you know, again, the old statement, extraordinary claims require extraordinary proof. And so Jesus lays that out. Uh, Nicodemus needed to believe in Jesus if he was going to receive that new birth that Jesus spoke about. And if Jesus has ascended and descended, And remember, later on in the Gospel of John, he's going to challenge his most bitter enemies by saying, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. And they said, you're not yet 50 years old and you've seen Abraham. He said, before Abraham was, I am. Uh, So (laughs) essentially, Jesus was cornering them in. They either had to kill him or worship him. There was no middle ground going on here. So no one has ascended to heaven and descended like Jesus did. And the whole point of that he's making here is, um, I, I don't just have authority to tell you things here on earth like your rabbis will. They just look from the horizontal. I've been there. I'm telling you what heaven is all about. And just as I came down from heaven and spoke with Abraham and then ascended again, so I've come down in the incarnation. I'm speaking to you right now, just like I spoke to Abraham. This is how radical the implications of this were. And Jesus is also implying that he is going to die and physically ascend again into heaven uh, at the ascension. Something
0: that neither Elijah nor Enoch have ever or could ever boast. Or Moses. So, so with that said, (laughs) and building on that point, another question from Dan, Uh, why does God say it is appointed for each man to die once, and that from man's bones is dust, and dust will return, but yet the rapture contradicts this? It doesn't. Let's first start with a contradiction. A contradiction is a violation of the second formal law of logic, that A does not equal non-A. Two things in the same way and in the same sense can't both be true and cancel each other out. When you hear this from skeptics, atheists, and those who are generally hostile to your position, they like to throw out the word contradiction because it scares people. It's got lots of syllables. The reality is that it's oftentimes confused with a difference, but they forget the part of in the same way and in the same sense. The concept of us physically dying and going to be with the Lord, which is the part that, again, you started your sentence off. I don't think intentionally deceptive. But when we say, it is appointed to man to die once— that's not the verse. What does the verse say? This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Appointed man to die once, that, and this is in Hebrews as well. And then after that comes the judgment. And I was referencing 2 Corinthians 5 and that we must all stand before the judgment, judgment seat, seat of Christ. Christ. Right. Now, if you can show somebody, rapture or otherwise, that isn't going to stand before Christ in judgment, the question is whether they took a cab or a limo at this point. Right. Are we asking whether or not there have been people in history that haven't physically died. We just named two, right. Elijah and Enoch. Right. If that's then the case, then the Old Testament contradicts itself. We don't believe that. Why? Because we're not talking about people who haven't been through physical death. Right. They're not making an argument from exception. We're asking, have they transitioned from this world to the judgment seat? Right after this comes the judgment. The this is the living state. Right, and whether they're raptured, whether they were taken in Enoch's case, whether they were taken in Elijah's case, yeah. or any other note you want to mention in between, people who will you know physically survive the tribulation, grow to be as old as trees, a la Isaiah sixty-five, see the new creation of the right. new heavens and earth, never see death at all in that sense what happens to them? They ultimately stand before the judgment seat. The question is how you got from A to B. Right. So the issue isn't a contradiction, the issue is a misrepresentation of in what sense are they dying. They're being physically separated from this world and spiritually joined back to where they were ultimately given account for their lives. So note Hebrews and Second Corinthians making that point of emphasis. It's not that we don't die, it's not that Genesis 3 wasn't accurate in saying, to the dust you are, and to the dust you shall return. As an absolute statement, God's making the point of, you're going to return to me and give an account for your life. That's what the point of those passages we're talking about. As far as death being a constant, I don't think you have to argue too much in semantics on that. One out of one people die. Yeah. if you say, well, I can name three exceptions, well, okay, what is the point of those exceptions, that they ended up in the same place as someone who physically died? Right. There you go. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I think that covers it. All right. Now we got a question from Casey and two and a half minutes to answer it, as well as one from Philip. I think these can be addressed pretty straightforwardly, but they could also be addressed in much detail. So I'll quit filibustering. Uh, Casey wants to know: Is a Calvinist the same as a Reformed theologian? The answer, in a simple way, is yes. The long answer would be. Most of the there, time, there's shades
1: of it. Yeah, most yeah. of the time.
0: Uh, those who don't know, Calvinist is a denomination of Christianity that would consider John Calvin, who was a reformer during the time of the medieval period and into the Renaissance, who was a respected commentator on the Bible, who wanted to make it accessible. wasn't perfect by any means, but he placed a heavy emphasis on the sovereignty of God, predestination, and even came up with a acronym, tulip, that. We can talk about it another time for the sake of it, where it emphasizes these doctrines that are, for the most part, based on biblical information. Some are more philosophical conclusions read into it, but a Reformed theologian would share those views. They would put an emphasis on sovereignty as opposed to free will. Now, a Calvinist would... Uh, as much affirm what a Reformed theologian would as far as Calvin's commentaries, but when people call themselves Calvinists as opposed to a Reformed theologian, it's usually a Church leadership issue and putting more of an emphasis on John Calvin's commentaries, whereas a Reformed theologian isn't bound by those traditions. Uh, And then she also wants to know, how does a Calvinist know they are saved the same way we all do? How's that? Yeah,
1: well, yeah, and, uh, you know, once again, one of the points of Calvinism is perseverance of the saints. Uh, They would tend to say, uh, once you're saved, you're always saved because God finishes what he starts. Uh, The only problem you run into with that is uh, that uh, you ask the question, well, what about someone who professed Christ and then falls away? Uh, Well, uh, you know, they would say, well, perhaps that person wasn't really elect at all because if they were, they would persevere. In terms like
0: election and so forth, these are heavily Reformed points. But when it comes to salvation, a Calvinist, an Armenian, a Calvary chapelite... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. would all agree that it comes by the name of Jesus, and that's why we'd regard them as fellow believers. Right. Note that point. Yeah. Thank you all for joining us this Boy, afternoon. time flies when you're having fun, huh? Yes. Yeah. And hopefully <laughs> you have all been having fun with us. Philip, we'll get to your question tomorrow and yours as well. Thank you for your continued prayers for the ministry. Pray that God continues to use it. We'll see you all again tomorrow. Till then, God bless you. God bless you.